everyone. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. We have an exceptionally special guest here today. One of our very dear friends, Maisie Eddings, is a, oh shoot, my screen just turned off, is a neurodiverse <laughs> author, dentist, and most importantly, stage mom to her cats, Yaya and Zadie. She can most often be found reading romance novels under her weighted blanket. Oh, yes, that's heavenly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And asking her fiance to bring her snacks. <laughs> She's made it her personal mission in life to destigmatize mental health issues and write love stories for every brain. With roots in Ohio and Philadelphia, she now calls North Carolina home. Amazing. We adore you. Welcome. Oh, I adore you too. When I got the email, like in, or I don't know if it was a text, it might have been a text, but regardless, <laughs> when it came to me, I ascended to a new level of excitement. <laughs> so I'm so glad to be here. I just adore you too so much. And I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> oh, back at you. I feel like we have a very special 22 debut bond that there's just always something really special when we talk to people from our debut class like we all just get it we just get yeah. it we all yeah. suffered through it together <laughs> what a year right yes. okay did you have maybe not because you are just constantly so busy did you have at the beginning of 2023 like a like a sense of relief of like I'm no longer in my debut year <laughs> No, <laughs> I have, um, I haven't had a sense of relief. Well, I probably ever, like, I don't know. You know, I can't say that I've ever truly experienced that sensation, but maybe one day, um, <laughs> no, it's been, it's been kind of nutty. Um, I have published, three books um, since debuting and then in March 1st, 2022. And then my fourth one comes out in August. And so, um, yeah, with it, it's a very different like trajectory and publishing schedule um, than, you know, I think is kind of the norm right now. And so um, it has felt very go, go, go. It, it's, it's felt so go, go, go at this point that like if I do have a longer stretch between book releases like between the second and third which so Lizzie Blake and then the plus one I had seven or eight months and I was like oh my god I'm not doing enough I'm like I I, I don't know what to do with myself like I couldn't sit still I was just pacing the apartment my boyfriend I mean my fiance oop, he got downgraded there for a second um, <laughs> he was just like hey why don't you chill a little bit you're like, you how? You're like, I don't what? remember how. <laughs> like, awesome. If I knew how to do that, I'm like, has anybody ever felt a sense of chill from being told to chill? Like, never. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. True. I was, yeah. was like, just listening to something, or I read something where they said that, especially if you're upset and someone's like, chill, calm down. Oh, <laughs> it never oh, no. makes you calm down. Nothing makes me see red quite like that since like my I, my body goes through every emotion except chill or calm when somebody yes. tells me to calm down and I'm like I truly the entire human spectrum just none of the positive ones. <laughs> so funny! Oh my gosh, it's so true. Um, well, as you were talking about your publishing schedule, Courtney and I were both just like shaking our heads in amazement and disbelief and awe because yeah. it truly is it's like remarkable how much you have done it since debut is that for a baby coming in yeah my yeah. that's my cat she's a lady she's making herself known Hi, we love it we love it yeah she will definitely she'll purr right up to the microphone if I let her so we'll We'll keep her over there for a bit. Um, I'm sorry. You're totally fine. I was basically just like in awe. And, um, and of course, not only that, like you have like a real day job, like a demanding one. How we're like skipping ahead. I don't, we don't have to skip too much, but I basically am just like, how do you, how, how are you still alive right now? You know, I, this is something that I'm like really excited to talk about because I get that question pretty frequently when I do events, especially with like 
um, yeah, like my publishing calendar, I'm at pretty much an average of like six months releases. And then I work full-time as a dentist. Um, and I'm, you know, fighting for my life on a deadline right now for a different book. And so, um, I do get that question a lot. And like, I think a lot of times it's asked with kind of like a sense of, um, and I don't want this to like sound cocky in the way I say it, but like a sense of admiration or like aspiration, like how do you manage all this stuff? And I like, I want to put it out there. That it's not necessarily something to be impressed by because I've, I've really been busting my butt so hard and I'm kind of, you know, rolling towards burnout in a lot of sense, because I've just always had this idea that if I keep pushing and keep going, like, it's, it's almost like this sensation of like, that's where I find worth, right? Like, mm. I think about it a lot. And this is about to get like a weird, deep, like economic answer here. But like, I think a lot about how as like a capitalistic society, and especially as women in one of those, we're very much programmed to find our worth and in, in what we can produce, and how quickly we can produce it and, you know, kind of find our accolades or like our, our value in what we can do, um, you know, for the GDP or for a family or things like that. And so I think I have that programming pretty, pretty deeply ingrained. And it's something that's kind of come to fruition <laughs> through all of this. Um, but, you know, and then on, on the flip side of that too, um, getting to the point of like debut year, right? Like, so we all debuted last year. Um, mine was March, 2022. Um, but it took me a while from when that first book, A Brush With Love, was actually written um, to get to that point where it was released. So I wrote I wrote that in 2019, like the first half of 2019, and then started querying agents at the end of that year. And um, throughout that process, when I was editing A Brush With Love myself, when I was querying with agents, um, I, I never stopped writing because it was such a joyful thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. And so that allowed me to really kind of draft ahead in a lot of ways. And the other aspect of it too, um, and I'd be kind of curious to hear what your submission experiences were like with editors and stuff, but like, I almost died on sub, right? I got rejections mm -hmm. from everybody. It was because we, we also went on sub um, a week before the world shut down in early 2020. Yeah, it was Me like, too. you did? Yeah, okay. So you know, like, you know yes. that. And, you know, and so it was like really horrible because on top of all that, I was getting rejection after rejection. Um, and kind of my way to cope was also to just keep writing because I was like, you know, I feel so um, inspired and so inclined to like tell these characters stories, even if nobody's ever going to read them. Um and I think because of that, by the time I, my editor came back, she had originally turned it down and she came back with a revise and resubmit for A Brush With Love. Um, and so I did, did all of that. And then she eventually offered for it at the end of July, 2020. Um, you know, so that's a pretty, that's over a year from like, you know, finishing writing A Brush With Love that that was even done. And in that time I had finished drafting my second book, um, Lizzie Blake, and Again, because I have no chill, I I just sent it to her with everything else because it was a two book deal, and I was like, oh, by the way, here's the second book, and I had no concept that you were supposed to have conversations with your editors about like what future <laughs> books would look like or like <laughs> what your career is gonna look like, and she, I remember like she's like, um, what what is okay? Can you tell me what it's about? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's about this um, uh, baker. She has uncontrolled ADHD. She accidentally gets pregnant from a one-night stand with a hot guy that lives in Australia. And then she gets herself in, like, this underground erotic baking scheme. And <laughs> I, I think there was, like, a couple days of silence where she just, like, <laughs> not respond or anything. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> and... Um, yeah. And so, you know, by the time I had signed and, and and with that, I think the original idea was that I would be on a more quote unquote normal publishing schedule. Um, but she wanted to try something new with seeing these like kind of rapid releases because I had written so far ahead and kind of tried to build a backlist. Um, 
And so I'm sorry, I, I'm like, this is the longest answer in the world. No, no, um, you're fine. <laughs> this is hot. No, it's amazing to hear all this. But, but with that, you know, I, I just, I did continue to keep writing, even when I didn't have books on contract, even when I had no idea if I would ever have another book on contract. Um, because again, I felt so, so moved by the stories that were in my head. Um, and I just, been very, very, very lucky. Like I cannot emphasize enough how much luck has played into this, that I found an editor and a home, a publishing home um, that really has supported and embraced, you know, championing stories that I feel inclined to tell, <laughs> even without so much like influence on on the back end of, of what that story is going to be. Because I know um, a lot of editors don't have kind of like that flexibility flexibility or leniency. Um, and so, yeah, you know, at this point though, I guess it's, you know, since 2019 to 2023, so we're about four years in, I have finally like been, I've been racing, you know, I'm finally caught up to deadlines in the sense that like, this is the first time where I'm like, definitely going to need an extension for one. And so I think, you know, what I'm doing and how often I'm putting out books is is definitely going to change. Um, because yeah, like I said, I need to learn to take care of myself better and, and realize that like worth doesn't come from just how much I can produce and put out there, but more so the worth is in, in the value of creating the story and, and the fun of that. So that was the world's yeah. longest answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was a perfect answer. And I feel like that is such a an important lesson that we learn as debuts and as we're writing our second books and third books and kind of going on is like learning how you need to work in order to have like a long-term career. Like, because we don't want to burn out after mm -hmm. two or three or four books. Like, so what is going to work for you to make sure that you can enjoy a long career rather yeah. than just like producing as much as possible mm -hmm. and totally, you know, hitting the wall. That's, you don't want to hit the wall. No, no, definitely. And I think, I think the other thing too is creativity and art thrives when we've taken care of ourselves or at least allowed ourselves the space to, to think, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, I think, I think as debuts, and I'd be curious if you felt this way too, but it feels almost impossible to to say no to something or an yes. opportunity because you kind of fear that the second you say no no other opportunities will be presented um and i think that i think that we feel that way in particular in publishing because that's kind of been seen before right where it's like you know, you, you turn down one or two things because your silly little mental health needs you to. <laughs> yeah. And the next thing you know, like opportunities are passed on. And so it's scary to, to prioritize yourself sometimes. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you two feel that way as well? Would you say? No. Court, go ahead. Oh, you I want me to go? <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. Actually, I was waiting for you to go. <laughs> I can go first if you want. <laughs> yeah, you go first. Okay. I think that I am getting better about it, but I mm -hmm. definitely last year, and I think for me, that's why I did have like a moment of relief, like coming mm -hmm. into 2023 where it was like, okay, like I'm no longer a debut. Like I've got this one down. I sort of know what to expect in that that definitely helped a little bit with, with book two, but I think, yeah, there is just this pressure to perform. And I think that one of my least favorite parts about publishing is this sort of lack of transparency in terms of what is really truly expected of you. And I think as debuts, you really internalize a lot of that because you don't have a clear idea of like, this is how many books we want you to sell. This is how many books we need you to sell. Like we don't have any sort of benchmarks given to us. And so I do think that there is this pressure to take that on ourselves, which it's not our job to do that. Like it's not our job to sell books. It's not our jobs to do publicity and marketing. Like of course, it's helpful when you do that as an author, but like, that's not your job. And if you don't do it as an author, in reality, it's not going to hurt you that much. Like, it's not going to have this big effect. 
but yeah, there is definitely a pressure, whether that comes from your publisher or it comes from you, or it comes from, you know, other uh, seeing what other people are doing. There is a lot of like, I got to keep up and I got to do this and I have to do everything I possibly can to make my book a success. When in reality, that's not in your control at all. And I think that there, Oh, I'm sorry. I think that there's a lot. Oh, sorry. I think that there's a lot of like, um, it's really, really hard to keep your own, your eyes on your own paper too Mm -hmm. during this process, because you see, you know, somebody getting this graphic or somebody getting this event or this, you know, conversation guest and stuff. And it's so hard to not think like, why, why isn't that me? Or what did I do wrong that I didn't get to that point when, you know, you are that for somebody else too, right? Like there's always somebody who's, career you're striving to like be your benchmark when in reality we you're so right we don't have control over anything but the words that we put on the paper and like we don't even have control over how those are perceived which is nuts you know like we create these whole worlds and like we we have nothing but the words on the paper with it yeah so true I um Gosh, I'm just like taking all this in right now because I think I am at a point where I am very tired mm-hmm. and I'm trying to determine how I want to approach the launch of book two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have um, things scheduled and planned that I'm really excited about and I just want to make sure I have energy for those things. But I also know me in that when I get an offer to do something else, I'm immediately like, yes, oh my God, I'm so excited. And, you know, in the moment that feels amazing. And then you like get to that time and it's like, wow, I'm, I don't know if I can handle all of this. Whoa, Mm -hmm. hold on. My thing just fell out. (laughs) My earbud just fell out. I don't know if I can handle all of this right now. And so I, I have never been good at like planning ahead for my mental health. And it's something I have actively tried to work on with my therapist, like mm-hmm. just in daily life, like planning a break instead of like retroactively being like, I need a break now because I'm burnt out or I'm having, you know, I can't cope with this right now. So planning for that would be very helpful <laughs> if I could do that. So I'm trying and I'm also trying like, all my contracts are done at this point, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's a very, thank you. I feel like very happy. Yeah. But also at the same time, I ha- I also have a book to promote. So it's not like I can just like turn in the book and disappear. Like that's not, I mean, I could technically, but like, mm-hmm. um, I don't really want to because I want to celebrate this book and I want it to feel like a celebration and be present for it. But then my brain is like, okay, well, you better finish your proposal or else you're just going to fall off the face of the earth, you know, Mm -hmm. or you're, you better get this in and get this done. And it's like, what started is like, oh, I'm so excited for a new project quickly becomes hurry up, Mm -hmm. hurry Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Have you, you remember that? Have you guys seen Hamilton? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think at least uh, multiple times a day about that line where it's like, why, why do you write? Like you're running out of time. Yeah. Where you're talking about Hamilton. And I think about that all the time because there is this invisible clock or like that movie, tick, tick, boom. I just bawled my eyes out because like, who are we racing against except this like little demon in us? That's like, don't have any fun with it. <laughs> Make it as stressful as possible. You don't yeah. have a deadline, but give yourself one and then feel guilty. If you like bask in your accomplishments, it's so nuts. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that saying like the joy is in the journey mm-hmm. and this could be a hot take, but mm-hmm. I feel like that holds a lot of weight until you get a contract or you're on the other side of getting a contract or getting agented. And then it's like, you better hurry up and keep pace. And I don't think that's a real, I think it's just a mechanism of the industry. Like Mm -hmm. my agent would never, and my editor would never be like, yes, you need Mm -hmm. to hurry up or, or there's something bad's going to happen. Like never. They'd be like, you know, when I needed an, an extension, they were so supportive and like, Courtney, you know, take your time. Like they treated me, you know, as I hoped I would be treated. Yeah. As human. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And like looking forward, I'm like, okay, well, 
maybe I would like a contract um, to not have like a book a year, you know, maybe I need to be have a gap year in between. Um, Mm -hmm. But even then, that's scary. So it's like, I don't, but I think this is just capitalism and and everything at play. I don't think it's, sorry, are those, can you hear those sirens? (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) I thought they were mine, actually. So (laughs) we might all have them going at once. (laughs) (laughs) But I I also think, too, that something with this is, um, because I, I completely agree, like, I, my, my agent, my editor, my team, like, so incredibly kind, gracious, understanding. Like if I went to them, you know, and said like, I need to take a huge break, it would be nothing but compassion for that. But there's still this overwhelming sensation. And I think that social media also plays a huge part in that too, because we're very conditioned, like social media in general, I feel like conditions us to feel irrelevant if we constantly putting something on. That's the word. Oh my God. And I say that to my fiance, all the time where it's just like, it makes no sense. And I'm like, it just kind of hits me out of nowhere where I'm lying on the couch crying. And he's like, what is going on? And I'm like, I feel so insignificant. I feel so irrelevant. You know, like my release day has passed and nobody cares anymore. Right. And it's just this, this sensation where, you know, if we aren't getting more and more hits on these little tiny screens, like, Mm. We're not worth anything or we're not on anybody's mind. And that's so silly because I, you know, I think about people all the time. I, you know, obviously we're friends and I, I think about YouTube. But I think about authors that I've never met. Like Lisa Kleypas, I think about her on the daily and like, you know, so she's like, <laughs> she doesn't have a social media presence. So it's just like, you know, it it is this, this conditioning that like, and it feeds right into capitalism too. So, yeah, I think judging how the success of our work based on how our social media is performing is, it's just not, it, it's, that's not it. Yeah, that's not, yeah, but it's like this tricky brain thing where like that's, we think that's what it is, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that we kind of search for that in social media because going back to, I, I think it, Fallon, you were the one that mentioned it where we don't have and I'm sorry if I'm wrong, we don't have the benchmarks where it's like, you know, this is the one year goal for amount of books sold, or this is the timeline where you're supposed to earn out or like, we don't have those metrics. So we search for it in the most, most unhealthy spots, Mm -hmm. you know? So exactly. Yeah. And I think that like, I think that artists in general have a bit of a propensity to be mentally ill, or at least, you know, have a little, little something going on up there. And so with that, it just like feeds the beast too, where we like, we find these really unhealthy tendencies and like unhealthy coping mechanisms where we're almost just like hurting ourselves because that's easier than, I don't know, admitting that we did something awesome and wrote a book and like publish it and basking in that glory and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember um, last year and I still do this. I will admit <laughs> that, but not nearly as much as I did with book one, but I would go like check my Amazon rankings like every day, mm-hmm. like every day. And it's like this number that really in the grand scheme of things means nothing. It doesn't tell you how many books you sold. It doesn't tell you anything really, but it was yeah. just like, this thing that I just was like, I had to do it. It was like one of the first things I would do every morning. And then of course, like, as is normal, your ranking drops, like as time goes on, like, you know, it's high when your book first comes out and there's all the buzz and all that. And then it just steadily declines. And it's just like, why am I doing this to myself? Why? It's terrible. And yet I could not stop. Mm-hmm. I've had to block a lot of websites. Um, so like, I can't, I can't view anything like that either because yeah. it was, it was so unhealthy in, in how much I was saying. I, this goes way back to the querying days, but I would wake up in the middle of the night, like every two hours or so and mm-hmm. refresh my email to see if I had <sighs> gotten any, <laughs> and it's yeah. like, if I was getting something at 3 a.m., I probably don't like that. Probably it would be the best like <laughs> author agent relationship to begin with. But like, <laughs> but oh, it is yeah. 
this obsession because I think writing is also such a solitary thing that we're we're so desperate for other people to validate our work and like what we've created. And so again, we, we're searching for that in these rankings or you know net galley um, re- request like level or or whatever it is and. You know, it's just an, um, I honestly like rankings are like the new GPAs for like authors. Like, oh my God, God, they are. No. (laughs) Scores like, yeah. (laughs) Tell me more in the gifted program without telling me you were in like the gifted program, right? Like, (laughs) that. Wow. Okay. I never made that connection. Wow. I just made that now too. I was like, oh damn, you know when I felt like this before my GPA. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, it's so interesting too, like, and like talking about mental illness and how it like Mm -hmm. all meshes with all of this, like, or just how it is all a big oatmeal. (laughs) Perfect word. During my debut year, before my book published, when I didn't have any sort of like um, book scan numbers or anything to check, Mm -hmm. um, I would spiral so hard. There would be days where I would just sit if, if I was home alone, like, you know, my kid was at school, my spouse was at work, just me, um, I would literally, and this is like so embarrassing to admit, but I'm gonna, Mm -hmm. and I would get stuck in this loop for hours, checking each social media Mm -hmm. platform. And I don't even know what I was looking for. It Mm -hmm. was like, I I remember, I remember one day specifically when I finally realized this was like a huge fucking Mm -hmm. problem. I, I had been sitting there for hours looping between like three different platforms, checking everything And I was like, oh, okay. I was exhausted. Like, I felt like it was an addiction. Like, I couldn't Mm -hmm. stop. And I met with my therapist, thank God. And she was like, okay, what's happening? And when people can lay it out like brain science, I love it because it makes so much sense because it's like, okay, nothing is actually like wrong with me. This is like a brain. This has an actual reason. And what she was saying was, my anxiety would spike and like about like, you know, worry or whatever was happening in publishing, whatever I was waiting on. And then my OCD would then like the anxiety would spike and my OCD would meet it at the top of the roller coaster. And then be like, oh my God, you should check. You need to check. And then I would check and then it would be like, okay, for one second. And then the anxiety would spike again. And then there goes the OCD again. And so it was like this huge loop of getting stuck in, you should just check, you should just check for that like instant hit of relief, Mm -hmm. but then it would be gone in one second. So it was like, so I'm like, well, how do I, what do I do? Mm -hmm. She's like, um, you need to just get off. You need to just stop checking. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Oh, well, when you put it that way. She's like, it's going to be hard, but the more you just keep not checking, the more your anxiety and OCD, like, will come from this giant spike to, like, more leveling out. Like, fine. (laughs) I'm glad you shared that because I I experienced that same thing in that loop all the time. And, like, my thumb knows the exact motions of where to tap, where to pull down. I was really hoping that your therapist was about to like unlock the secrets to not dealing with that anymore. But, yeah. um, but I do like sometimes I like feel like the impulse to check. It, it gets really, really heightened the closer we are to pub day. And one thing that I will say that like is a personal point of pride is like with each release, the like severe, like unhinged panic and anxiety has gotten closer and closer to pub okay. date. So I'm not like spiraling for months on end anymore. So that's been really nice. But like when it get when the anxiety spikes and those obsessive tendencies come out, like I literally, I'll check the clock and I'm like, okay, I have the urge right now. I'm going to see how long I can go without like, and so then it becomes almost like a reward system because again, can't do anything without <laughs> that's it my therapist would be so proud of you (laughs) well you know what I literally live to make therapists proud of me so like that's Uh, oh my gosh yeah yes yeah like 
Did I ace therapy this week? <laughs> Love it. Um, if you are listening to this and you are a writer who is about to be published or trying to get published, please get yourself a therapist because mm-hmm. you will need it. Yeah. Hands down. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Life-saving. Yeah. For sure. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, we totally skipped over um, talking about your books. <laughs> so <laughs> let's do that because they're amazing. Um <laughs> So Plus One was your most recent mm-hmm. adult release. So tell us all about that one. Yes. Okay. So the Plus One is the third and final book in this um, a Brush With Love world that I've been playing in with year, playing in for years now. Um, it follows um, Indira, who we've met in the first two books, um, kind of having one of the worst days of her life. Um, she walks in on her boyfriend in a very compromising, very bizarre situation with another woman. Um, and she flees to lick her wounds at her brother's house, her older brother's house. It's crucial that he's older, right? And (laughs) (laughs) And so when she gets there, um, you know, she's telling herself it'll be okay to stay with him for a bit. He's, you know, in the midst of planning this really big wedding, and so she'll be helpful. She's in the wedding party, blah, blah, blah. And when she gets there, who opens the door but her worst nightmare, her childhood nemesis, her older brother's best friend, <laughs> Jude. Um, and so, you know, Jude, sad boy Jude, has a bunch of baggage on his own, Um for the past couple of years, he's been um, living in different parts of the world, acting as um, an emergency medical care provider for areas um, of high conflict or natural disaster and things like that. And he is suffering pretty strongly from some untreated and undiagnosed PTSD. He's not himself, but he's very determined to be as present and supportive for his best friend's wedding as possible. And so he's really trying to hide it. Um And because he and Indira have always had this kind of natural animosity and this, you know, bickering relationship, um, it feels very comfortable and natural for them to fall back into that while they're both, you know, really hurting. And um, that, but with the looming wedding, they're also forced to be around a lot of people. Indira has to be around her ex. Jude is just constantly overstimulated. And so the two make a pact to fake date for this wedding, um, to have reasons to kind of like get away from everybody. And obviously they fall in love along the way, um, as fake daters tend to do. Um, but yeah, the book is, you know, just, it's a love letter to therapy in a lot of ways. Um, Indira is a psychiatrist, but she's also battling with this concept of like, how can I be kind of fucked up in the head and still be a psychiatrist? And if I can't like care for myself or like be fully evolved, how can I guide other people? Um, And so she has a lot of on page therapy sessions and stuff. Um, So yeah. (laughs) That's beautiful. Long elevator pitch. (laughs) It's perfect. What a good one. I mean, like fake dating is a a top tier Mm. trope Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And then there's just like the added bonus of the older brother's best friend that just makes it perfection. I know. It's something about dating your siblings, besties, just so forbidden. So, so saucy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And then Tilly and Technicolor is your first YA book. Yeah. And that's when it comes out in August. Yes, it comes out August 15th, um, so right before Steamy LitCon, um, so going to do it up big there, but yeah, Tillian Technicolor is kind of like a YA, or not kind of, it's YA, but straddles that line towards new adult, um, and it's very coming-of-age romance rom-com sort of situation. Um, Tilly just graduated from high school. Um, she has been struggling with undiagnosed ADHD, really white knuckling it. She has no idea what she wants from life, but she knows that she does not want to go to college. Um, even though there's a ton of pressure on her to do so. So her parents send her off to, um, London, where her sister has a company and she's supposed to work and intern there. Um, and on the flight from Cleveland to London, um, 
her, you know, okay. I don't know about you guys, but like I, if I'm in an airport or like an airplane situation, I conjure like sexual tension with anybody, even remotely my age. Like it's just, it's automatic. It's inevitable. It's like, you know, we're, oh, we're both watching our hands at this sink. Like, yeah, like th- there's something here, you know, <laughs> And so, obviously, Tilly feels this way about her super cute seatmate, Oliver. Um, and But the two, it's just an absolute international meat disaster. Um, a lot of, it's, it's so bad. Like, And I will say that most of what happens to them on that flight happened to me. Like, real life experiences. Like, I have some of the worst travel luck in the world, so I really oh just God. have a wealth of no. horror to draw from <laughs> for this situation. No. <laughs> and so they finally land in London and they part ways and just pray to every deity never to see each other again. Um, and then they happen to both be interns for this company. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. They have to spend the summer traveling around Europe, um, trying to like basically market and pitch this nail polish brand to get into boutiques and stuff. And Oliver has autism. Um, and so he has a really hard time, like um, forming deep connections with, with people like his age or around his age. Um, because he doesn't, you know, like yours truly have like a good sense of small talk or like, you know, social niceties, but his special interest and like the thing that he's most passionate about is color theory. And like, he kind of interprets and understands the world through color and the emotions that colors evoke in people. And so, um, these two, you know, opposites really have this connection because of their neurodivergent brains and, and find out that, they're not actually that different after all. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a book of just like neurodivergent joy and excitement and there's stimming and special interests and hyper-focus. And um, it was so fun to write. Like it was just, it's a very, very fluffy and fun book. Oh, it's, I, I got chills <laughs> listening. That's just the sweetest. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. What do you do have coming up? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> go Courtney Mark, you're just coming uh, first you're just coming up my, real soon oh my gosh that's so funny because I, I wasn't even thinking of book two <laughs> I was like oh that's not out yet <laughs> no, you're at that point where you're like oh how is that not just been there since, like, <laughs> yeah July 25th in the case of heartbreak which is my second um fern falls book will be out and that follows Ben and Adam um, and it has a lot of unrequited love and lots of miscommunication. Um, but I really loved playing with the miscommunication mm-hmm. trope because the whole like focus of the book is them learning to communicate. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, anyway, I, I really love it. And it was a beast to write, um, which I think is the situation with a lot of book twos that you mm-hmm. haven't already written. <laughs> no, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I, I just love it. I put so much of my heart in it and it has a lot of like anxiety and depression and like trauma rep mm-hmm. and how to deal with, um, kind of being triggered and re-traumatized and how to lean on the people around you, like as you get older. So I love it. And <laughs> it also has a lot of like funny moments, um, that was the probably the worst pitch ever, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I loved it. Oh my God, that was beautiful. And I think that there's something so special too about like writing a romance or even a rom-com that has that m- mental illness and mental health rep where it's like, because it, I mean, who amongst us has not hysterically started laughing while crying over a mental breakdown, you know, where it's like yeah. the funniest <laughs> moments are like at rock freaking bottom and kind of finding lightness or humor in those dark times is what really allows for healing. So I think that's so exciting and beautiful. Thanks, Mace. And I I really like the idea, and I think life is very much everything all at once. Mm. And so I like writing mm-hmm. books like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Also, you just got a starred review in the library journal. <gasps> okay. Oh, <laughs> my God. Courtney K. Shut up. Look at you. Thank what? you. That was that cool. That was cool. I was very surprised. And I don't know. I have such, like, complicated feelings around this one. 
because it was a very different process writing it. So I feel like, and it could just be my brain, but I, it's almost like I don't know how to per- perceive it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the first book was so filled with like community and how it was written. And it was like a very, I don't know. I don't know. Just book two is very different. And so now that it's done, like I'm so proud of it, but I also have a very difficult time per- perceiving it. That's the only way I can describe it. Do you feel like you had to be more vulnerable writing book two, yeah. like emotionally? So it might be that I'm just too close or too invested in it. Yeah, very much. I felt that way for the plus one where it was like, I, I remember when I found out it was on NetGalley, I was just bawling because I was so scared yeah. because I thought yeah. by the time I turned it in, I was like, nobody's going to understand this book. Nobody's going to like this book. It's something yeah. that I'm like most proud of and had to be most vulnerable to write. And it like breaks my heart that I just know nobody's going to get it. And it'll, and so many people have said that by far it's the one that they prefer out of the three. And so I think mm-hmm. that like when you, as much of a labor of like intense love and like emotional currency that goes into that, it, it reads that way to people and allows them to connect with it so deeply. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. But complicated feelings about it are fine. Like, Fallon, did you have really complicated feelings, like, going into the second one? Yeah. And, I mean, I know Courtney and I had similar experiences, I think, writing book two in that it was really just really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, in one of my many therapy sessions before (laughs) Lisa on Love came out, my therapist was like, you know, you just have to get to the point where you accept that you love this book. And so what other people think about it doesn't matter because you love it and you created it and you're happy with it. And so what I really struggled with with book two was there were so many times when I didn't love just my type. And I was like, well, what do I do now? Because this was the whole key to me not like completely losing it with Lise. And I'm like, and I couldn't, I could not always say that about Mm -hmm. just my type that I oh, I loved this book and I was totally happy with it and it was fine and wonderful Um, because I didn't feel like that a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard. And I will say I'm actually, so I'm reading it right now because I'm annotating it for like a charity auction Mm -hmm. thing. And I'm like, okay, this book doesn't suck. (laughs) But like, yeah, I'm like, you know, months past release, like it has been done for, you know, a year almost at this point. And like, it really has taken me, like, I really had to put some distance Mm -hmm. between myself and like, actually the, the pain and struggle of writing it. I had to get some distance from that before I could look at it and be like, oh, okay, this is an okay book. Some things you just have to, you have to plant in the ground and let them grow for you to feel like any sort of connection to it later. And like, and then you can go back and harvest those flowers and like admire the work and stuff, but it take it can take a long time for that. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for that, but <laughs> at least now I know how to deal with it when it happens again in the future, yeah. because I'm sure that it will. Like, I think it's just like, you know, an inevitability. Well, how, how did you deal with it at those times? Was it just pushing through or... Yeah, I mean, I drink a lot of wine. (laughs) My poor husband had to listen to me complain a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, too, just I think the really great thing was by that point, I had really good relationships with a lot of other writers. Mm. And that was so beyond helpful because they get it, you know? And so it was like, I could text people. I could text Courtney. I could text other writer friends and be like, hey, I think this book sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they'll be like, it doesn't suck. Like, chill out. You're fine. And just having somebody that really understood that was like, I mean, really just priceless. Like you can't, you can't survive without that. I don't think. No, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now I have your phone number, Macy, so I'll be texting you next time. I'm like, listen, I I just need somebody to tip the tip over that iceberg because I I'll nobody do goes harder bitching in text messages than I. Sweet. <laughs> Dead. Done. Done. I 
<laughs> I have never been enjoyable during the drafting process. So four years of just being a monster. I think my fiance is finally glad that I have writing friends because for so long he was my writing friend. <laughs> and so yeah, now now I take it to the group chat. I still repeat everything to him, but it's yes. at a slightly lower tone. Listen, yeah. that's a firm foundation. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you need that. You if need he that. can listen to you, bitch, nonstop. Then he's a keeper. That's right. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think um, that's a nice transition for us because <laughs> Maisie and Ava Wilder and I were chatting on Instagram about our favorite indulgence Here Vanderpump Rules. Here we go. And Maisie was like, "I haven't watched the finale yet because I have to wait for my fiance." And I was like, "I'm sorry, what? Yeah, like I." would not wait for anyone to watch. I know. I know. My mom said the same thing. Everybody was like, how are you? I think I even referred to him as my roommate because I was mad that he was the only one. When I'm being a little salty, I'll be like my roommate, parentheses, fiance. Um, yeah. He was true love right there. I know. He was out of town for his silly little job and I'm over here like dying on the internet trying not to see all these spoilers and actually i think we just watched it um what what is today tuesday we watched it sunday so like it's fresh it is fresh in my fucking mind dude and um i i have so much to say but also no words like um, yes (laughs) rotten hell like truly like wish you the worst and Rachel Levis like also wish you the worst like oh oh my god Fallon I'm sorry you like gear this like let I I could I could just go on a rampage and I I, every time I swear in near you I feel like it's the first time you've heard a swear word sometimes like you just You have like the sweetest face. And so, I mean, I'm like, wait. That's hilarious because like I have the worst mouth. <laughs> I've noticed that you do swear, but again, I feel good. I'm like, am I allowed to swear? I'm like, so I have a mom face, huh? <laughs> I'm like, oh. oh my God, yeah. that's amazing. Go at it. Go at it. Yeah, I, whew, I mean, that and uh, did you watch Ariana's Watch What Happens Live? No, what? Okay, well, you have to go back and find um, that. What, so is she that was, on <laughs> yeah, it's on Peacock. It's on Peacock. So she was on by herself, just her and Andy, right um, after the finale. And you have to watch that because that's beyond. Um, um, yeah, I just the whole I'm I watched it like over a week ago, and yeah. I'm still just in shock but honestly one of the moments that stuck with me the most that I keep coming to is Sheena's conversation with Tom Mm -hmm. Sandoval I have never liked Sheena more than in Mm -hmm. this moment Mm -hmm. I was like you have redeemed yourself after 10 seasons of being kind of the worst it was so good and I just I loved what she said well first of all I think it's total bullshit that Tom Sandoval is saying like Ariana said she was gonna hurt herself if I broke up with her whatever I'm like BS on that I don't believe that for a second it's not worse how would this not be a more triggering situation cared about somebody's feelings yes yeah that is right I just I have zero patience for that narrative but then mm-hmm. for Sheena, I was just so proud of her to be like, mm-hmm. so then you do it and you let us be there and like help her. Like that's what mm-hmm. we are here for. We're her friends. And so yeah. if she is going through that, you walk away and you let us deal with it. And I was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, yes. that she really up. did. Yeah, that really, I was like, damn, okay. I, yeah, she re- like, she got it in that moment. I was like, this is, that was a really powerful thing to say too. And I mean, like the whole, honestly, that episode was, made me sick to my stomach to watch because it was mm-hmm. just like the gaslighting was just unreal but also how much he's convinced himself of the truth and like I just like there one thing that I like repeats over and over in my head is how he he makes some sort of comment about like almost about how 
not sneaky he was being like Ariana just had to follow me and realize I wasn't going to Schwartz's house and for somebody fault yes it was her fault it was her fault for trusting her partner of nine years and not following him not going through his phone not like you know tracking his location it was her fault for trusting him that the affair carried on and like to me that was just such an abhorrent like thing and just like can just it just it, it's completely opposite of what a, a good sound relationship should be because it's like I would so much rather somebody leave me than cheat on me like and and then to blame the other person for for being trusting of a life partner like that is just absurd and it's gross mm-hmm. and also I'm sorry but to like sleep with your best friend's to have an affair with your best friend's partner too like they're you know like Rachel is very much just as bad in this situation where it's like she fully knew what she was doing yeah the whole thing I will say though it did send me quite a bit when DJ James Kennedy was like you you really blew all your friendships for Sandoval's old cocky cock like the line (laughs) he said I I honestly am inclined to get um you're you're a worm with a mustache like tattooed somewhere on my body like <laughs> instantly iconic unforgettable like no notes just so freaking quick with some of the harshest things ever ever uttered in the human language yes. <laughs> so good so good yeah, yeah but oh yeah the whole thing just has me so furious and I yeah I also I just want to do a shout out because I'm sure Andy Cohen listens to your podcast Andy obviously Cohen. we're both friends we're obviously yeah. so big, big fan Andy Cohen <laughs> hi Andy hey Andy hey if you want me to come on watch what happens live let me know we'll be the bartenders oh my god yes. yeah I, it will just be straight vodka like in the cup yeah don't even know how Yes, somebody get me a box of wine and I will tap that <laughs> real hard. Like, <laughs> I will slap the bag on Watch What Happens. Oh live. my God. That would be amazing. That's Please. like, okay, on I'm sorry. Bucket list. So it seems like at Steamy LitCon, we might all need to meet up with just like a bladder of wine. And I love it. Camelbacks. Yes, Camelbacks. <laughs> some box wine. <laughs> Oh my god, amazing. Yeah. I, the reunion's uh, reunion gonna be wild. I cannot wait. <laughs> like I don't watch like live TV because I yeah. don't who has time for that. Like yeah. I'm not watching commercials. Yeah. But I will sit I might watch it live. I might <laughs> like sit down. <laughs> if I had cable, my ass would be planted right there. Like yeah. I, and I've started, I'm like so sick sickly like invested in this show that I'm rewatching from the very beginning like the fourth time are you doing doing that too yes it is some incredible it's like I feel like an anthropologist almost when I watch it like (laughs) you know it's just like a deep study on a life that is so different from one that I've experienced Mm -hmm. and I find it so fascinating because it's just it's so it's so unique (laughs) and so far removed from my day-to-day Yeah. And I think what has always made Vanderpump stand out from other reality shows, I'm sure I've said this before, is that these people are legitimately friends. Mm -hmm. Like they are in each other's lives when they are not on camera, which is not something that usually happens Mm -hmm. with reality shows. Mm -hmm. And they're just so ingrained in each other's Mm -hmm. lives that it's like, it makes the drama so real and so tangible mm-hmm. and you just like, I can't, I, it's completely fucked up, but I just can't mm-hmm. get enough of it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, ju- I do, I find it's like, it. I really do find it like watching like almost like sociological perspective from it where it's just like, it is so interesting to look at. It's like a long, a longitudinal study, right? Is that what it is where it's like, for a long yeah. term where you're like looking at the the psyches of like these people and obviously tv is not their entire real life but they do seem to bear it all pretty pretty extensively for the the seasons at mm-hmm. least <laughs> i mean just the fact that this all happened 
post filming oh. and they picked up the cameras like a day crazy. later and were like, let's go. Let's ride. Again, thank you. Amazing. Mike. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Bravo. <laughs> Ellen, you and I need to dedicate our next books to Andy Cohen. Oh my, oh my God. God. I, totally I absolutely 100% yeah. would. <laughs> Will it will it get us on Watch What Happens Live? <laughs> I, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. At least as the bartender serving boxed wine. Yes. Okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Um, I know we're running a little long, and we don't want to take up your entire evening, but we have to touch on this last topic because, yeah. I mean, we yeah. just have yes. to. We First of all, to. I would I could chat with you two for hours, like didn't Same. even realize what minute was. So Same. I appreciate it. I don't you. think any of us are gonna sleep at Steamy Lit. We're just gonna be like no. up yes. all night talking. Sleepover. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Cannot wait. Um, but you put this on your little questionnaire <laughs> and I just have to know more because all you told us was that you could give a TED talk on Jonathan Bailey and his butt. Love, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what about the butt specifically? Well, let me take back um, almost 10 years to the day. (laughs) Um, Amazing. (laughs) I believe, I believe it was July 6, 2013. Um, And I was, was, uh, you know, just a a fresh wee 18 year old navigating the world. I um, was having a bit of like a, I don't know, I guess a quarter life crisis. I, I don't know how old I'll live to be, but regardless, <laughs> I, I was I was staying at my uncle's house and I was having really horrible insomnia. And I was um, a really huge Doctor Who fan, um, you know, just big old nerd on it. And I, so I love David Tennant, obviously, who's one of the actors in there. And then, so I had a huge crush on him, right? All of this just revolves around these like really parasocial crushes that I've had on people like throughout my life. But so he's in this show called Broadchurch. And so it's like 3 a.m. Um, I'm like, you know, just miserable with life as all 18 year olds are. And I'm watching Broadchurch. And then I think it's episode two, a butt appears. Full, full, full behind, and it's exceptional. And the face ain't that bad either. And who, who's who's derriere does it happen to be? Like Jonathan Bailey's. And so immediately obsessed, enamored, you know, just needing to know more. That's a valid response. Yeah, I I become a light a, like a decade long ride or die for Jonathan Bailey and I was just like, it was love at first, but you know, like really love at first cheek even because it was a side profile when we see it. And, um, yeah, so I saw, I saw Jonathan's Bailey, Bailey's butt in the summer of 2013 and it just changed me as a person. Um, and I've been a huge fan ever since. Um, you know, I've, I've followed his theater career and then he got, cast in Bridgerton and then all these fake fans yeah. come out of the woodwork <laughs> you, you know every, yeah everybody's like trying to lay claim and it's like <laughs> I'm sorry but I have been here since ground zero like I have <laughs> been here since day one you do not get to claim the love that I have for him um and so yeah and then we um we got to see a great deal more of it and the rest of his physique um in Bridgerton season one less of it in Bridgerton season two but you know we all have the screenshots like you know it's it's quality not quantity in in that Mm. situation Mm -hmm. season one was quality and quantity um season two was was quality um season three I'm hopeful season four I'm petitioning for it just to be him you know just like You're like, who needs the rest of these siblings? No, no. Throw Simone Ashley in there. I want her there, like for sure. Um, and and yeah, I mean, like, so again, that you know, that's kind of the history, the history of a very pivotal moment in my in my personal journey as an individual. So have you seen the newest photos from the set of Wicked? Of course. Oh, shit. 
force. Hold on, I I'm Googling. The- oh, I'll have to Google it later. Okay. And, and I am obsessed and I cannot wait. But what really has me like flipping out, kicking my feet is the movie he's in with Matt Bomer. Um, have you seen that? No, Harry. but that's tearing. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> have you not seen, it takes place, I think in like the seventies or eighties. So they're wearing like nut hugger, um, bathing suit bottom, <laughs> classy, um, <laughs> bathing suit bottom. Amazing. Literally both have mustaches. They're in the ocean, soaking wet, like hugging, like, please get on Google right Amazing. now. Because- okay. Yeah, very important to me. There's also this clip that's been going out where they're just like running down the beach. I don't know if they're racing. I don't know where they're going. Hopefully I'm at the end of that line for both of them. But like that, I mean, again, I'm very, very excited for Wicked. But, you know. Priorities. I'm not going to be seeing Jonathan Bailey's butt in Wicked. That's what I was just going to (laughs) say. Yeah. We gotta set Those our expectations. Like tight pants, though. The pants yeah. look a little tight, which you know I'm here for. Sure. And again, appreciate it. I love it. I love the range that he has. Whether it's tight pants, loose pants, <laughs> no pants, no pants. The range is just incredible. Have we seen the gray no. sweatpants? Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So then he was on an episode of Chewing Gum. Um, is that what you're referencing, Courtney? No, I'm just wondering if they, if it exists. So it does. Okay. Oh, um, so there's a show on HBO. (laughs) He's in season two. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's episode one, season two, episode one, where he comes in and he plays like, he's plays like the douchiest guy you could ever imagine. (laughs) And there's this girl that's like the lead in chewing gum. And I think it's called chewing gum. I I might be getting that wrong, but she's hilarious. Um, And she goes on a date with him and it, he is just like the worst that you could possibly imagine a person being. Um, (laughs) She's like in a bit of a bind. So she like needs to stay with him. And there is a very, very important scene with gray sweatpants and, um, a hand involved in the gray sweatpants. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, I just, I think that everybody needs to be on the lookout for that as well. Um, let's get that streamed. ASAP. I know what I'm watching tonight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he has it in his contract that he has to at least have, do semi nudity and everything that he's starting. <laughs> Love that journey for all of us. Mm-hmm. Here very- for it. Yeah. Um, amazing. Wow. Makes the world go round. Guys, this conversation has really hit on everything I could ever want in life. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I have to agree. I would have to agree. All of my special interests have come out. We love you. I love this. We could not love you more. We love you so much, and I can't wait to see you in August. I know. It cannot be here soon enough. Okay, but before we let we let you go, mm-hmm. um, we need to know what you're working on next. Unless you're not working on anything, which would be awesome and yay for you to take a break. No, I am working on stuff, <laughs> but I'm almost done. I'm um, so I the the most recent thing that I finished up is um, my April 2024 release, um, which is my sapphic rom com <laughs> that takes that takes place on a flower farm called late bloomer um it so yeah good. i know it features two by disasters um they're both you know somewhere on the autism spectrum and it is just you know messy 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 adults like trying not to kill each other <laughs> while also looking at pretty flowers um and yes yeah, so that comes out april something um 2024 and then (laughs) next year um I also have my second YA coming out which right now is called Cubby Clark is not in love but I have yet to have a title stick from what I originally (laughs) (laughs) have it as so you know we'll we'll talk in a year um but that one is next year is my year of sapphics I'm just now realizing um I know I'm so Thank you. I am very excited about this. Um, and that one is, yeah, like I said, a, my second YA. And it's kind of a love triangle. And I always have hated the love triangle. So we'll see. I like, I don't know. 
I don't know what I'm doing, why I would do this, but you know what? We're going for it. And um, it's kind of like a rock starry band, sort of messy teenager. Yes. Yeah. And um, if you want to die over like the most beautiful cover in the world, run to Maisie's Instagram to see (laughs) the cover for Late Bloomers. It is good. I, yeah. So I, when I, when I sent it over, I was like, can we get Jennifer Prince? And they were like, absolutely not. Like, she's so hard to book. Oh, wow. And then we got her. What? And then for Inso, I sent over Nicola Coughlin um, for Opal, one of my characters. And then I was like, and then Pepper, the other character, is kind of like um, Audrey Plaza meets like Kristen Stewart. And I just think that they nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> so so well yeah I love it so so much I want to get it blown up from my wall I don't have any of my covers blown up but if any of them deserve it it's that one I want to get it blown up from my wall are you kidding <laughs> so good it's amazing uh, so good all right can you please tell our listeners where they can find you on the interwebs Yes. Um, my website is www.maisieeddings.com. Um, and, uh, I forgot everything else. Um, sorry. <laughs> my coming free just glitched. <laughs> Whoa. Mine does that all the time. Um, yeah. Um, and I have a newsletter that I'm generally pretty like active on, but haven't been lately. Oops. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm maisie.eddings. Um, and then on uh, Twitter and TikTok, I'm at FoxyGrandpa27. Um, and yeah, that's where you can find me. Yay. Yay. Maisie, this has been the best. amazing. The best. I, I think we're going to have to have you on like once a month. <gasps> oh, just yeah. so we can all Please. catch up. <laughs> Monthly guests. No, literally anytime. I love this so much. Like, I'm not even just like plucking your pillow here. Like I had such. <laughs> same 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 um and we can't wait to give you big hugs in august all right thank Thank you. you everyone so much for listening and we will chat with you more next week thank you so much for listening to happy to meet cute if you enjoyed our podcast we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media we are at happy to meet cute on instagram and also if you could please leave a review and subscribe that would be amazing if you would like to follow your host you can find courtney at court underscore k k a e on all social media platforms and you can find me fallon ballard at fallon ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media if you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to zachary kibby and matt ballard for our amazing theme song thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time